0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I am
0: Ellen Trackman, and I'm
1: not ready. You do
0: not sound certain at all about
2: who you no,
1: are. No, no, I'm totally ready for this. Let's do this. Okay. Um, and I'm here with
0: Jennifer White. More confident That's where you say who yeah. I am. I am Jennifer White. Yes. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, so I'm continuing this this month, this period's trivia intro theme where I try to stump you, not really, but um, okay. trivia questions. So because this is a really fun crossover episode of another podcast, which I love, yes. um, I'm actually going to quiz you about um, trivia on our own podcast. So, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> this is gonna be embarrassing. Are you ready?
0: No, question one. I, I need time to this. study no you got this
1: okay with you and you're not allowed to pull up the website so don't don't i
0: do not have the website pulled up (laughs) at all okay
1: Uh okay question one you should just remember this who was the guest for our first published episode of the podcast i want to put a baby in you
0: i well i remember who we recorded with first
1: that's not the same (laughs)
0: i know that's the problem i mean i know we recorded with Susie white first but i feel like did we i know but i feel like was it jennifer nelson was our first published one no Mm -mm. Mm -mm. oh do you want one more Uh, try no do you want I do you have a hint no no
1: i'm gonna give you a hint it was an attorney yay
0: okay attorneys
1: who what was the first attorney we had on
0: um, oh, God, there's so much pressure. I did not like <laughs> this at all.
1: So fun. <clears throat> um, uh, no. Okay. Do you want me to tell you?
0: Yes, I do want you to tell me.
1: Uh, okay. It was Amira Hazenbush, who oh, was an attorney. Amazing. I'm so um, sad I didn't yeah, remember that. So amazing. And um, do you know Amira's winning the one of the 40 under 40s LGBT? attorneys from the national bar at a big i did know that i heard that which is
0: amazing she's such an amazing advocate
1: totally um okay next question um name four items of merch the items you can buy as merch on the podcast uh website
0: oh okay that one i can totally (laughs) do because i probably (laughs) own several of them Uh, i know you can get a phone case Good, yes. um, I mm-hmm. definitely know you can get several kinds of t-shirts mm-hmm. uh, because okay. I own at least two of them <laughs> myself.
1: No, I'm only giving you credit for for one for t-shirts. Okay, good. that's totally fine.
0: Um, so I just because I think it's hysterical is uh, the fact that you can get a fanny pack. Yes. Um, and one One more. We'll oh, one more. What else? Uh, oh I'm sure. Can, oh, I know you can get a coffee mug because I definitely have a coffee mug. That's true. Yeah, and jogger pants. Mm-hmm. Jogger pants as well. Yes, I mean all kinds of ridiculousness, quite honestly. So
1: nice. Um, Okay, so I'm not sure what number this episode will be when it's actually posted, but as of the moment we're recording this, how many live episodes are up for the podcast? Do you know the number? Oh,
0: without looking, I looked. I looked the other day, and I feel like it was 163. No, I I really looked the other day, so. Am I right?
1: Oh, no, one sixty one is what I say. Oh, okay. So, oh no, one sixty two. <laughs> All right, we're both wrong. One sixty two. Okay, as of, <laughs> as of looking this up. Um. Okay, and then one more, just uh, completely random. Let's see if you can guess this. Who was the guest for episode ninety nine?
0: Oh. Okay, that's um, that's for one. Have, that's I have no oh, idea.
1: I'll give you a hint. The episode was called Changing Lives and Making History. Does that, does that give it to uh,
0: There's so many people that have changed <laughs> lives and, and lives made and history, make history in this. I know. I'm like, I feel uh-huh. like that's sadly a really generic title for us. Um, uh, no. Do I get a, a second or third hint?
1: Uh, yes. You may have another hint. Um, the guest was a woman
0: okay we have a few men on Uh, that's i say that Uh, that takes us down to like takes out like 20 percent
1: you know uh how about this i'll give you a hint about the making history part the history was made in the state of montana
0: oh was it our very own wonderful and amazing amber denning yes 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 yay (laughs)
2: Yay. I mean, okay. not that we
0: own any human being, but <laughs> she does work for my agent, our agency, fortunate. so <laughs> yeah, <very lucky>. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. she is absolutely amazing, so um, Yay. Well, that wow, was the, that was fun, the, the
1: longest intro ever, um, but let's get on with this great episode, <laughs> yes, let's talk about other podcasts now welcome to the podcast today we have guests ruby boris and Ann judge from another amazing podcast called the whole pineapple which i listen to um, and love and adore so if you are listening to this podcast and you have not yet checked out the whole pineapple step one finish listening to this podcast step two Go subscribe and check out their podcast, and I promise you will love it. Um, But one thing is, they do not spend a lot of time on their own stories. So we thought this is a great opportunity to have them over, talk about their podcast, and tell their own journeys to getting to becoming podcasting superstars, which I assume they dreamed of since being since young children. I assume. Um, Let's start with. Anne. Sure. Can Anne. you imagine if
3: they had, like, Podcast Barbie, you know, where she would have, like, her oh, little yeah. headphones oh,
1: and legs.
0: Like, if they a did, Jen, I'm sending king it, king it to you. Yeah. Born. Born. <laughs> I need that.
2: So yeah, with little right. headphones and a microphone.
0: <laughs> I
3: think it's, it's also right. really funny that you say that we don't get to tell our own stories because I feel like I talk about myself way too much <laughs> on our podcast. But but you're right. When we do it, we're usually making quick little references and we try to yeah. keep the focus on what the topic is and what our guest totally. is. So this way, we could just talk all about ourselves today, which I'm excited that,
1: for. that is fair. You do you are very open about your own stories, and um and I don't know if you'll you'll probably get to it, but I you also have an Episode with your husband. Yeah. <laughs> which is
3: hilarious. So hopefully
1: you'll talk a little bit about that
3: too I to give will. a preview oh my my goodness, so good. since you bring it up just today. Um before this, I got a text from my aunt because we've been doing our podcast for over a year and my mother still does not understand it, does not understand podcasts. <laughs> Every time we gather, hmm. she's like, Now, when do I watch it? Can I watch it later? I was like, it doesn't matter. So she's never successfully listened to it, which I'm totally fine with. Oh, and then she's on vacation right now with my aunt. And my aunt texted me to say, like, oh, we pulled, we, I was able to get it on her phone. So she's listening to your husband's episode right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> the one she's going to listen to. Because he's very, um, it's a great episode talking about his experience at having a diagnosis of severe malfactor. But it's from his point of view. And he's funny. And there's a, there's a lot of time spent on his experiences with, collection rooms and yes. all kinds of things and, um, and so i texted equipment him equipment not and, working
1: yeah. and having to go back to the front desk technology ask equipment
3: permission. not working not his equipment not working clarify. yeah but i texted him to be like oh my gosh they finally figured out my mom's listening to your episode and he just wrote back so i guess we agree we're never going to see your mother again then. <laughs> so yeah did, that's just that's definitely... you
1: said emojis just like the embarrassed face oh emoji. she doesn't
2: know
3: how to do that she doesn't know how to do (laughs) (laughs)
2: that is one of my all-time favorite episodes and you can't tell because you know it's a podcast you can't see us but half the time I'm like doubled over trying not to laugh like a hyena into the microphone So, yes. Oh so if God. you if you yes. want a
3: gateway episode into our podcast, it was last um, fall near the end of the year and it's called none is the loneliest number talking oh. about a severe male factor diagnosis. And some of our episodes are like that. We're interviewing people about their experiences, but a lot of ours are more like expert guests and that's when we had Ellen on. So that's why we're yeah. super happy oh. to return the favor. So that's also another key episode of ours to listen to. If you want to hear her oh. talk about all I the awesome the stuff she does. I love the plug for Ellen. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, not half as funny
1: as your husband but I, I will say the gateway one I did the same for Jen I was like check out this podcast here listen to this episode and that no, was no, the first one I sent well, her
0: I was laughing so hard yes
1: awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so I guess I'll start by telling my story then so that's kind of where it begins and the funny thing is for me um, like a lot of people there can be more than one thing going on so I did not know we were going to have yeah. severe malfactor. I knew that I did didn't um, get periods <laughs> so I mean I didn't know that I was on the birth control pill because I had irregular cycles but I didn't really think about it until um, we were all excited after being married for a few years and I remember this big like exciting day of like we're gonna try and you know putting down the birth control pack and be like we you know isn't this exciting <laughs> and then um, and then I didn't get a period and I was like well that was easy um, but then my pregnancy tests were negative and I was like wait what does this mean why am I not getting a period But I'm not pregnant. And at the time, I was a labor and delivery nurse. So I definitely knew more than the typical person about bodies and pregnancy, but I didn't really, you know, it just wasn't something that I had really thought about a lot. And so I waited a few more months and. Occasionally, I would get a cycle. It'd be like fifty-five days would go by, and I'd have some bleeding, and then like another thirty-nine and some bleeding, but nothing that was regular or consistent, um, which can be super frustrating if you've decided that you want to try and get pregnant. Because I was I was using ovulation kits for yeah. <laughs> weeks and weeks, and I remember joking to people at work to be like, I would just like to pee on a stick and see something. <laughs> I don't care which line it is. Yeah. I'd love to see an ovulation kit be positive, let alone. And so, I finally went to go see. Um, an OBGYN that I knew from work, uh, and they uh, didn't even really do a whole lot of testing on me. It was, it's interesting when I look back at it now because they were kind of like, huh, that is weird. Let's try some Clomid. And there wasn't a whole lot of diagnostic testing. And But the thing I do really appreciate is that she was like, you know, it sounds like you're not ovulating, but if I'm going to use medications, I just also want to make sure there's not something going on on the sperm side. So let's do a semen analysis. And that's where you can pick up with my husband's episode <laughs> to hear about how that went. But so for me, my experience went from being kind of frustrated for like five months because I wasn't having regular cycles and then thinking, oh, perfect. Well, now I'm going to take this pill and that'll make me start ovulating and we'll get pregnant to then suddenly being told, actually, there's not any sperm. Um, So suddenly you need to go see a fertility clinic. And it was just this whole sudden journey. And in the meantime, I also didn't ovulate on Clomid. So that was lots of fun. Um, But but I appreciate that because Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, if she had not checked a semen analysis, I would have been one of those patients that we see all the time where there would have been another six months of me escalating medications Uh. and trying to figure out why I'm not ovulating. And then, you know, maybe I did finally ovulate and we would try and try. And then we'd eventually find out there is also this severe factor on the male side. So it's so important, I think, to really do a workup from the beginning. And that's my like personal soapbox. I see a lot of couples where <sighs> they're like, Well, we know she's not ovulating. We'll check a semen analysis after like three to four months if still not pregnant. I'm like, you know what? In the scheme of all the tests that we do, <laughs> like it's so important to just check this sperm from the beginning too if someone yes, is partnered yes, because
0: I mean, statistically, <laughs> one third of you know, infertility yeah. cases are male factors. Like why would you just always make the default assumption that it's the woman every single time. I
3: know. And even again, often there's more than one thing going on. Us infertile people are awesome in many other ways. (laughs) So we attract (laughs) others to us. And uh, (laughs) and so, you know, I kind of, but the really funny thing is because then we were referred over for severe malefactor, we're instantly on the IVF pathway. Like I didn't actually even realize until years later when I was now working at the fertility clinic that, oh, wait, I have PCOS and no one ever told me that. (laughs) I didn't know that. until I looked at things later because it's sort of like once they realized there was this other issue, the whole issue of why I hadn't been ovulating was kind of a back burner because we were going to just go right into IVF. And uh, yeah, so that was my infertility uh, whirlwind of referral. And you can certainly hear more about this, the male factor stuff with his episode. But for me, um, I think the hard thing was that I'm very Goal oriented, and so it was kind of like, okay, we were trying for this. We had this setback, but now we know what the issue is. And now we're going to do IVF, and so there's like steps steps to go. You check checked off your check boxes. You know, we're great prognosis at the time because I was in my 20s, severe male factor, again undiagnosed PCOS, but it meant they got like 38 eggs. I mean, it was like you know on paper a great IVF cycle, and so it just really. Floored me to not get pregnant <laughs> because everyone's been telling you the whole time this mm-hmm. is the problem, but now we can fix it because we're going to do IVF, and um, yeah, and it did not work for me initially. We had a fresh cycle that was unsuccessful, and then a couple more frozen cycles that were unsuccessful, and then we were out of embryos, and I had to think about whether oh, wow. I wanted to do it all again, and that was from the part. Thirty-eight. Where... Eggs from, I was going to say from thirty-eight yeah.
0: eggs. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
3: So again, severe male factor and PCOS, like that's why I tell people all the time, like more is not better. Like I did not have right. a great stimulation cycle and no one told me that when I was a patient because I didn't work here then. Everyone's always like, Oh, it looks so good. And then once I started working here, I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is all old school. Life. Yeah, this is not the way we do it right now. But I, um, like I still am maybe one of the highest estrogen levels I've seen in cycle, I mean, over 10,000. I don't think wow. I knew that.
2: <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That and is I, new. See, every time you tell the story, I learn yeah. something
3: new. Well, and Ruby, I don't, yeah, you'll appreciate this. So I started at, was then a pretty low dose. I think I was going to be starting at like 150. And then I remember this is back in the days where the doctors did the suppression checks. And my doctor was like, gosh, you do have a high follicle count. Let's start at 125. And then I came in and my levels were already in the thousands. And so then I stopped. I stopped stim after five days. I coasted for five days, which is not. Oh, yeah. Like on now, all the things I know, I was like, that was a really terrible cycle, actually. Um, and And I think about that sometimes now that I work in the clinic, how important it is to not always sugarcoat things, because I feel like when you're in the cycle. there's this tendency to always want the patient to be hopeful, which I get. So you're not (laughs) going
0: to ask if that really flavored how you treat patients. Yeah,
3: Yeah, exactly. Because what was so hard for me as a patient was the whole time through, all I've been told was how great things look like, look how many eggs are growing. Yeah, your hormone levels are really high. So we're going to stop these medications, but no worries. Like no one ever told me that that was maybe not ideal in terms of the quality of the embryos I would get in the end of this. And so for me, um, you know, not working in the field yet and going through to start with that many eggs and basically end up with, I think only five embryos at the end of it, but still everyone's like, Oh, but you're young, great quality. No worries. Um, I feel like I didn't really emotionally get like floored by my infertility until we had gone through all those embryos because now it's been another you know year (laughs) because every cycle you're taking breaks and pauses and and i'm completely out of embryos and it's like wait why would we ever do all that again like if i was such a great prognosis but it didn't work like what's the point in trying that and so I'm so glad that in the midst of doing that, I ended up changing fields and working in the fertility clinic because I feel like I kind of needed that knowledge and for people to be a little bit more real with me of being like, actually, that's not great for your quality. And if we decided to do it again, here's all the things we would change to be like, oh, that makes sense. Like every cycle really is different. There's a lot of factors that play into success. It's not just about the age. And, um, also working here and seeing how common it was for people to have to do IVF multiple times, because especially back when I was doing all this, like 15 years ago, you just didn't hear about IVF as much as you do now in the media and pop culture. And so there's kind of this assumption that that was your big guns of fertility treatment, but that was what yeah. would work. And so to realize it, that <laughs> it often doesn't work and that's normal is, is okay. <laughs>
1: And this is always a big factor, or often a big factor. Factor. Did you have insurance coverage or any other assistance? Yeah, thing? so that was
3: the other thing. Is luckily I did um, from the hospital that I worked at, but then I I used it up. So that was part of it too. It's like okay, oh, no. <laughs> so because <laughs> it's, it's definitely easier when you're in the initial roller coaster when it's and, and not like it covered everything, but it covered a lot. We were very fortunate, and so then it was this matter of well, you want me to do this again, (laughs) but pay more. And and now I pay
1: out of pocket. Yeah.
3: And it's, and so, um, but I, I feel like, uh, where I work now and the perspective that I have, that that's part of what I always want people to be aware of from the beginning is there's this tendency, even in good prognosis, even if we're saying, you know, 50, 60% chance, that means almost 50% chance of it not being successful, even when mm-hmm. everything goes right. And so you want to be hopeful, but I think it's also kind of good to gear up from the beginning for the fact that often it's not something that is always going to be successful the first time.
1: So Not second time, <laughs>
3: Wait, and no, then yeah, no, so, no, yeah exactly. So then second time, um, yeah, we had a different protocol. I had a, it was, I still had a ton of follicles, but ended up with actually more embryos at the end, and we fresh transfer and had success. And that was great. And, um, and it, it was also, I gotta put a plug for how easy it is to do a cycle when you then work in the clinic, <laughs> because I could just be like so having convenient. my ultrasounds and blood draws. Yeah, exactly. And the first <laughs> cycles that I was doing, I was not only a labor and delivery nurse, but a night shift nurse. And so I just remember, oh. I, I don't know what they thought of me before I worked here, because I was like the cranky, sleepy person in the waiting room being so annoyed because I had just worked, you know, seven to seven and I'm trying to be the first morning appointment so I can get my ultrasound done and then go home and go to bed. And so when they were running late, I know I was always very like, when am I going to be seen? So
0: I've definitely had surrogates who were nurses and did the, and the same thing, like to get monitoring appointments that were just like, we're really sorry, just hold on just a little longer.
3: Yeah, and then they'd be like, we'll call in the afternoon. It's like, well, I'm going to be sleeping. So leave me a message and I'll check it when I get up at five. And yeah, so it was a kind of night and day to be able to, also I took a break that's the other thing like I took about a year off um and during that time frame is when we then I switched jobs started to work in here kind of had that broader perspective of being like oh my gosh like I actually there are a lot of reasons that I would want to do this again and Mm. now I feel so grateful for what we went through because not only did it help me have my family but it really led me to a job that I love and can't imagine doing anything else so you know it's Mm.
1: Do you want That's to share, we, we haven't told people what your job is. Do you oh, want to share what, what yeah.
3: you do? So I, and Ruby as well, I'm a nurse practitioner in the clinic. Um, and so when I started, I was a, a nurse. And so I coordinated cycles and then um, went back to school to get my NP. And so now I see my own patients um, for basic fertility as well as egg freezing, as well as all the other stuff we do in terms of diagnostic testing. So yeah, Ruby and I both work at Seattle Reproductive Medicine and um, I love it. It's it's a great job. It's also much better than being night shift and on call for weekends and all that great (laughs) stuff.
1: So Ruby, where do you start with your, your story to stardom
2: as a podcaster? (laughs) Well, I did not have a podcaster Barbie. um, Although now that I realize that we stand yet, when, when, if, and when they have one, I will be the first, but um, I was just realizing just standing here. I'm like, you know, if there is a podcaster Barbie, she wouldn't be able to stand up. So how could I podcast? Because I podcast standing up oh, all the time.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, Barbies sometimes have
2: flat shoes now. Like skipper, okay. maybe it has
0: to be a podcaster skipper. Is that skipper? Skipper. Has yes, yeah. I did
2: have a skipper or a okay. midge. Wasn't there a midge at some point? Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. used
3: to so have those would... little rods that you would clip your Barbie in so yeah. she could stand. So you could have a rod that also has a microphone. So
0: that yes. way she's just like attached oh, to there the we microphone. Go.
2: Yes, my podcaster Barbie is going to have to have flat feet because that's the most accurate for me so
0: okay yeah order placed
2: yes um so my story is different so we're going to kind of take a different left turn because i'm one of those rare people that actually didn't get into the infertility world because i had a fertility story um i went to nursing school in montana and i knew i always wanted to be a nurse practitioner um, and there was a women's health program at uw at the time university of washington so i moved out to seattle when i was 22 years old um by myself didn't know nice. anybody here um and started my night shift job <laughs> also in ob oh, wow. i happened to be on um on high risk ob so i worked for a couple years as in high risk a high risk ob nurse and um, then started my graduate school career and then shortly realized that I can't do graduate school and night shift at the same time. Um, (laughs) But I also knew that I really loved women's health. And I literally the very first time I logged in to start looking at day shift clinic jobs, Seattle Reproductive Medicine's weekend nurse position popped up. And I'm like, well, that's just perfect because I can work weekends. I don't have to worry about like missing class or anything, Um, scheduling class around around work. And I, I got hired here and I worked in the OR for a while, um, as well as working weekends. So I was in on a lot of the egg retrievals. I learned a lot. You think when you work in OB that, you know, like everything about reproductive health and then you start infertility and you're like, Oh, I didn't know anything, (laughs) Um, which is kind of sad, (laughs) but, um, yeah. So learned a lot on the weekends. Um, back in the day, there was only like a couple nurses here. It was kind of like skeleton crew. So it's a lot different than it is now. It's uh, funny
3: because I was thinking about, you know, how I was saying, I don't know what they thought of me. I, I remember when I first <laughs> met you, you were always so busy because you were here, but you were also, if there's a spare moment, you're were like we're doing coursework and talking yeah. about all your classes. And I just remember thinking like, wow, her life is intense. So <laughs>
2: Yeah, I actually do. I remember sitting in the clinic um, with you when you were um, a nurse and be like, yeah. I'm so tired. All yeah. the time. Just a different kind of tired than when you're a nurse uh, working night shift tired. Um, so yeah, so I learned that I really love the field, um, that I, I'm a science nerd, and I just like, love the science of, of all of this. Um, it wasn't until later that I actually ended up having a, uh, a pregnancy loss experience, which, yeah. um, is, I've never talked about it in detail. I think I've like briefly mentioned it here and there on the podcast, but it is, it's yeah. still to this day, it's been, um, four and a half ish years. And I still feel weird talking about it because, um, yeah. I still deal with imposter syndrome a lot. Um, uh, which is funny because if I, if a patient had this exact same situation, the way I would respond to that patient would be remarkably different than what goes on in my head. Um, but yeah, so we, um, had our, our first son, um, and he was about two years old when this happened and he was dealing with, um, we're trying to figure out his neurodivergence, um, diagnosis. So we were doing autism screening and, um, and sensory processing. He had like OT therapy, like all, all the things. It was really stressful. Yeah. Um, and then we um, were pregnant with twins. <laughs> and uh, that kind of came out of left field for me. Um, because I worked in high risk OB, it terrified me. Um, <laughs> so all I, and did of was, course,
3: because you work in a mutual everyone right. just assumes that you did this on purpose. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah, right? yeah. And it's also, and there's guilt with that too, you know, yeah. because it's like, wow, like I wasn't anticipating this. We have so many patients that are like, yes, please twins. You know, I want twins. Yeah. And then I am spontaneously pregnant with twins. And this is see, even telling this, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I should be telling this, but, um, uh, yeah, so I... I found out I was having twins and there was like a lot of emotions with that, especially since what we were dealing with my, with my son, we were already very overwhelmed with what was happening. And Mm -hmm. I remember sitting down and like trying to write out all of my feelings that were happening. And, um, I found out I was having twins because I scanned myself in the clinic. Oh (laughs) oh,
1: wow! Wait, was anyone with you when you found out? And you're like, wait, wait,
3: wait. Yeah, no.
2: And it was really early too. So it was like Mm -hmm. five weeks. So the first week or so, I tried to convince myself that it was just like an anomaly. I'm like, that's not a no, that's not a second gestational sac in there. No way. Um, so I found out really early. So I started dealing with these you know, lots of emotions about having, having twins right away. Uh, And I was writing all this out and like, do we need to buy a new car? Can I work as much as I usually do? How is my son going to feel like all the things, oh, they're going to end up in the NICU, you know, please let them be healthy. All the things like, what's going to happen to my body? Like, you know, all the things, um, I even remember like, oh man, it's a boy and a girl. Dion's going to want to name them Luke and (laughs) Leah. (laughs) I was like, I can't deal with that, like, I just all those things, it was back to back to back in my head, thinking of all this stuff, Um, I couldn't turn it off. And um, the weeks went by, and things were progressing. And I started to kind of get more used to it. um, And kind of like, okay, we're, we've had several ultrasounds, things are progressing, both are growing. so wow, this actually might be a thing. And working in fertility, I have heard the term vanishing twin syndrome before, uh, which I actually really hate that term now. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much uh, hurtful it kind of is um, until later, because it somehow kind of takes the legitimacy out of that pregnancy away, um, I think. Um, yeah. and, and, but I was very scientific about it at first. I, w- I realized that and I'm like, okay, you know, about like a third of twin pregnancies will result in what we call vanishing twin, where just like one stops growing and just kind of like slowly disappears. Um, so I was very pragmatic about it at first and I'm like, okay, yeah, that definitely could happen. But then six, seven, eight weeks go by. Um, and I was like, okay, uh, well, you know, it's still growing. I, I think I need to start preparing that this is actually a real thing. Um, and I think it maybe, I don't know, who knows if it would have been easier, if it would have happened earlier on, I don't really know. Um, you know, it's, I, I try to qu- qu- not to qualify losses at all because a loss is a loss, but of course when it's yourself, it's, it's a little bit, you talk to yourself a little differently. Um, but I, Remember? Uh, oh, I did have also. Um, I had an episode of bleeding, which I just want to throw that in uh, because um, we tell all of our patients a lot, like, okay, that's very common. It can, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything's happening. That's going to harm the pregnancy, you know. But <laughs> working in this field, like, I, I try to reassure people that have spotting and things a lot. And then when it happened to me, I freaked out. <laughs> wow, so so right. now I'm like very empathetic when people even have a little bit of. Bleeding because I completely lost it. And um, like yeah. went to the, my OB right away. I'm like, what's happening? Everything was fine. They were still growing. So a couple more weeks go by. Uh, we're progressing. And I was like, super sick. Um, and we we're starting to relax because we were like, right at the end of that first trimester. And it was Dion's birthday. I was like, oh, you know what'd be really cute is if I put a little ultrasound picture of the twins in his his birthday card. Aww. Yeah, yeah, you can see where this is going. And I, so I did a quick little abdominal scan of myself, and I stared at it. For, it, it probably was only for a couple seconds, but it felt like forever. Where I was just staring, I'm like, A doesn't have a heartbeat. And I'm like, am I really seeing that right? And like, they were big enough where it was like pretty obvious right away. Um, so I went down the hallway to my colleague's office, Dr. Barker, and I was like, "Hey, can you do a, a pelvic ultrasound on me?" Um, yeah. I don't think I see a heart rate on a and uh, so she did an ultrasound on me and sure enough uh, uh, twin A had stopped growing about a week or so before and hadn't mm-hmm. didn't have a heartbeat anymore um, and <sighs> it's weird because I, I just, I feel like I wasn't as prepared because I, we kind of had reached this milestone where I'm like, okay, this is happening, you know? Um, so it really, it kind of, it shocked me more than I expected because I I thought we had gotten past that, that possibility. So I'm like, oh, oh, we're here now. Okay. And in the room with Dr. Barker, I remember, I still was like my pragmatic self. And I think I said something like, well, well, I guess this is easier and now i'm like okay i hate that but like you know that's just how my brain works i'm like well i guess i guess this is easier but then i i went back to work she asked me um are you sure you want to work like yeah i I think i just need to work and i kind of didn't process it right away and it didn't hit me until i pulled into my driveway and i'm like oh i have to tell dion and it's his birthday (laughs) um So I I remember walking in and he was, he was so supportive and everything about it. And, um, but it took a little bit, there was a little bit of a delay in how I was feeling. I'm like, okay, well, I knew this was a possibility, you know, I was very scientific about it because that's what I do. But then it it does start, it started to come in. I'm like, Oh wait, no, I had been starting to plan. You know, you have that vision in your head of what your life's going to be. And I grieved way more than I expected to, um, and so now to this day, even when this happens to patients, like it, it does trigger a little bit because I feel it's such a unique and a different experience. And this is where I struggle with um, with imposter syndrome because I remember sitting there, I'm like, I I don't deserve to grieve. I'm still pregnant, you know, um, and like, why, why should I be grieving? I'm so pregnant. I, I have so many patients who would love to be in this position and have had many losses or haven't even been pregnant yet. And it just, I really struggled uh, with it as a fertility provider. Uh, so that, that was, and I still, still do, obviously, I have a hard time talking about uh, um, feeling like I shouldn't have a story. Um, and I realized that, like, I've been super privileged to not have to have infertility and um, to not have to deal with that. And so this really did surprise me. Um, and then I, I, since I had that initial, like that bleeding, I had lots of ultrasounds and because I had a, a, a loss, I had to have more, uh, more monitoring. Weird things would come up like, oh, we can't really do genetic testing, the chromosome screening with, oh. with the twins, because we don't know if we're going to pick, if it's abnormal, we don't know if it's going to be from the the twin you lost or the twin that's progressing. So that would mean that you'd have to do extra testing. So we had to decide whether or not we were going to do screening, things like that. Um, and then in, uh, you have to decide whether to do an amnio, which has risk right. it or no. Yeah. yeah. So like if something were, uh, if it was both normal, right, then, then we would know that that the progressing twin was normal. Um, But if one was abnormal, then yeah, you have to like, more than likely it was the one that stopped growing, but uh, we couldn't know that for sure. So then you would have to do, take on the risk of doing an amniocentesis. Mm. Um, So that was kind of a a decision I wasn't prepared that I was going to have to make. And we ended up doing lots of ultrasounds and it was really hard to every ultrasound. You would do the measurements of, twin B who is growing and have oh. to see twin A there. Wow. And so yeah. by the, the vanishing term, it wasn't even true in this, like, <laughs> no, it. it doesn't just vanish. Um, it, it does over time, depending on how early it is. Um, in some cases you can tell at delivery, but um, in my case, there wasn't any evidence, uh, by the time I delivered, but it, twin A was there for a while. Um, which also is so, it's such a strange thing to have happen in your body, uh, you know, but yeah, so I, there were several weeks where we'd have ultrasounds and I could, I could see our, our lost twin, which was, it was just harder than I imagined it would be. Um, and let's see what else, um, I'm curious
3: from having not to, host the podcast yeah. but from this experience <laughs> yeah. like what what other things you do differently with patients because i know for yeah. me i always when i have when i'm telling someone that they have twins i always am really careful to take a bunch of individual photos yes. as well as photos of twins because the same thing like yes. you don't know and you don't want all your early photos That's to be only of twins and then have yeah. to explain later to everybody so i'm curious if there's other just practical things that you do yeah. differently
2: that actually, that's such a good point because yes, I do. Uh, with twin pregnancies, I take a lot of pictures um, because that's one thing that I do kind of regret is I don't have as many pictures of just um, twin B who progressed and then also of, um, of twin A. I wish I had one that was just of twin A. Um, and at first I was like, yeah, no, I don't need that. I don't need to know. Uh, I, I We also opted not to do uh, the genetic screening also because I didn't want to know. Um, the sex of, of both the embryos. Um, but now I'm like, oh, I'm kind of curious, not because it would have changed anything or changed the way I like, grieved or anything, but just kind of a little bit more of an identity to to my lost twin. Um, so with, with twins, what, even one, ones that are looking good in the clinic, I, I do take lots of pictures. Um, for people that have lost a twin um, or or just lost a, a singleton pregnancy, I always ask them like, "Would you like a picture?" Um, because in the moment you might not, and you're just grieving, and you're like, "I can't look at this anymore." Uh, but I always tell my patients I'm like, "Just know that we have pictures here, so in the future." I you, you I was wanna... going to ask that. Do you take the picture anyway and just keep mm-hmm. it in the file? Mm-hmm. Okay, for that reason, yeah. which I think yeah. is great. Yeah, so we always have it here if you decide that you want it. And it's different for everybody. I have people that are like, yes, please give me a picture. And then others like, no, please get it off the screen. So um, mm-hmm. literally every, every single person is is different with these kind of experiences. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, oh, little little things that are triggered. You know, I, I remember I said um, earlier that I, I said something about like, oh, this is easier which was interesting because later in pregnancy, when I was meeting an OB provider who wasn't my OB, uh, he said something like, and this is like, I had had the diagnosis for weeks and we'd like had conversations about it a lot with my OB. And he says like, well, you know, singletons are less high risk, you know? And it's like, like, okay, yeah, I know Uh, know that. And like, it wasn't, he wasn't trying to, you know, and he's right, Right. (laughs) he's right. Singleton pregnancies are less high risk, but in the moment I'm like, yeah, I still don't, I'm still not Mm -hmm. happy this happened to me, you know, kind of thing. Um, But there was a lot of guilt with that as well, uh, because in the beginning, I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe vanishing twin will happen. And then I don't have to deal with the fact of having twins. And so there was a lot of mixed emotions and guilt for feelings that I felt earlier in pregnancy uh, that, so I didn't feel like I had the the right to be sad Mm -hmm. later on. Um, and it's just, a, it's a different feeling for people that are dealing with a loss and then also pregnant. At the same, You have like, you're happy yeah. and you're hopeful, but you're also sad um, and feeling guilty about feeling sad. Um, I think just because of the field that we work in and so many of, I see so many patients that are having pregnancy losses. I just, I, to this day, I struggle with, um, talking about this type of loss, even though if it were happening to my patient, I, I, I would not hesitate to tell them that they did everything right. And then they have a right mm-hmm. to grieve and that this was a loss too. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my story. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, yeah.
1: thank you so much for sharing it. It's, it's a lot. And I can only imagine how hard it must be to talk about it and to share it. And I can only imagine how it must affect and change and make things mixed up of working in that field. And, I every say, and day. live it so yeah. many days
0: too, because I mean, when you see patients come in, you, you still often have to relive that trauma, but you can't tell them that you're reliving that trauma because it, obviously you don't want to you don't want to burden them with with your feelings on top of their own feelings. so right. I, I know it, that has to be incredibly difficult right and your
1: point is an interesting one generally that if a patient had this, of course you would you know accept and tell them how valid it is that this is a loss and we are so much harder on ourselves, right when mm-hmm. even you know you should be kinder to yourself and be giving yourself all those those same messages that we yeah. tend to not be as kind to ourselves. So yeah. oh, I, I wish that wasn't
2: so I wish you were kind <laughs> to yourself, but I know. But, you um, too. Um, but that also I, I have changed what I say, I make sure to make a point to tell people that I say, you did everything right. Uh, this is not your fault. And no matter how many times I say this, you're still going to find reasons why you think it's your fault. And just know that I'm yeah. saying right now that you did everything right. So you can have that my voice in your head instead of yours, because Just knowing that no matter what, even if you know all the things and you're, you know, you're an expert in your field, when it actually happens to you is a whole different scenario. So.
3: And even just that little tweak, I used to sometimes tell people like, you didn't do anything wrong. And then at a mm-hmm. conference I was like, oh no, that, thats I don't even want to say the word wrong. Like you did everything right. Cause that's true. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a much more powerful statement. Yeah. It's like, cause your mind instantly is still, you want to find a reason for the mm-hmm. unexplainable. And that's one of the hardest parts often. So just reassuring people I, mean, I feel like That's really the key of what we do every day is trying to help people understand what's going on and the limits of what's going on. And that's kind of part of the reason we started the podcast, too, to be able to get the word out there to a wider audience about um, fertility and, you know, wellness and what we can control as well as what we can't control.
2: So.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Speaking of the podcast, back to the podcast, yeah. um, who dragged the other
2: one into this? <laughs> that would be me dragging Anne. Oh, <laughs> Actually, I just the other day, I pulled up the original email that I sent to her. And I, I say I something. I want to, to frame
3: me. that original email. I do You
2: with the Barbie. <laughs> yes. With the Barbie. Yes. It, it um, says something to the effect of like, hey, um, I think you'd be really great. Would you like to, you know, I have this idea for a podcast. I think you'd be great. You know, would it would it convince you or would it entice you if I did all the work? Yes,
1: exactly. If I said, I'll do all the work. Nice. (laughs) And did you hold her to it? That sounds
2: opposite
1: to our story.
2: Actually, (laughs) Anne does a fair amount of work, so um, she does does I don't do all the work.
3: (laughs) But it helps me get over the the guilt if I feel like, okay, I'm going to let Ruby take this part. It's like, she did did all
2: the work. (laughs) I have it in writing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So this was a, a pandemic um, in, inspiration. Um, so we were furloughed for about a month here, right when the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And so I had this is what happens when I have a month to just think about things. <laughs> um, so yeah. I was thinking about a podcast and how I could reach more people. And I also happened to be a uh, really interested in lifestyle medicine and wellness. And at the time. Um, Oh, I hadn't been, I hadn't been studying studying to be a lifestyle medicine professional yet, but I, it was on the horizon, um, and I thought this would be a great way of combining both my my love of talking about fertility and reproductive health with overall lifestyle and whole person kind of care, and so I, but I also wanted somebody that had. A fertility story because it is—it feels weird as somebody that did not have infertility to sit here and talk about infertility. Um, and Anne obviously has a really compelling story and is really fun to listen to and is super knowledgeable. So she I'm is. i the color
3: commentary. I be <laughs> the yeah. there too.
2: I think I told you you were the talent earlier. Yeah,
3: so like, uh, so yeah, I, love yeah. I love it. So yes. I think it's—I it's, can't imagine doing it alone because I feel like you do sort of need that balance of dynamics and personalities and someone to ask something that you wouldn't think about asking when you have a guest so I applaud both of you for your partnership podcast as well I think it's uh I I would
0: say have you ever recorded without each other is the question because Ellen and I have each done that and it is actually my biggest fear and the most terrifying (laughs) ones we've done
3: well, we had an issue um, recently where there just kept being oh, yeah. problems on Ruby's. Like it kept dropping her audio and we kept trying to fix it. And eventually we're like, you know what? I'll just keep talking. And they- <laughs> So if, if you listen to our podcast, see if you can ever figure out which episode it is. Because you'll notice there's long Ooh. chunks where it is just me talking. You yeah. hear and, that, um, listeners?
1: There's a challenge. Yeah, we have a exactly. challenge. And
3: yeah. you can probably tell because I'm not interrupting Ruby. <laughs> but so yeah. she'd ask a question, the guests would start to answer, and then she'd be gone again, and I'd ask Ugh. a follow-up. and But we have not intentionally um, done one alone. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Even what we'll have episodes where Anne is with Jamie, who is our wonderful mental health counselor here, who do, does a lot of our mindfulness episodes, and she she's with Ant. So th- those ones I, I'm always looking forward to listening to because I wasn't there for the recording. So they're brand new to me.
3: Yeah, we really um, wanted to mostly be Jamie doing a meditation. So we have one of those once a month, but then we thought it's kind of nice to have a little bit of intro first. And if it was all three of us, then the whole episode was all three of us talking. <laughs> so me <laughs> <brand new laughs> and Jamie talking a little so that we can then have the other second half just be leading a meditation. I love those episodes.
2: So they're They're my
3: favorites, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now listeners
1: know that you guys have med- uh, meditation episodes. Mm-hmm. What else do you want to share? I know you have some great just kind of informative history ones that are funny and interesting.
2: What are, yeah. what's, what are some of the other ones you can share?
1: Well, it's interesting.
2: Favorites? I think Anne and I discovered our love for medical history through the podcast <laughs> too, because some those are some of our favorite ones. I know we just recently did one on uh, history of epigenetics. Um, and so we talk about the uh, different famines that have happened throughout history, which I was like, way more interested in and than I thought it was gonna be. It's actually very fascinating. Yeah, so you might be like, about. what
3: do commandments have to do with fertility? But if you listen, you're like, yeah. oh, this is what we learn about epigenetics and the environment of a pregnancy and how that can change the health generations later. And those are all really crazy. key concepts when we're thinking about fertility. And um, you know, even when we have people that are, for example, building their family using donor embryo or donor egg. And so sort to of realize like, yeah, but you're the environment <laughs> and all mm-hmm. these things that Do or turn off and on different genes, and that's got a huge impact. So I think, yeah, we we we're a good pair because we both like to get into the details of um, science and history, and fun to have someone to do that with. And we have a whole list of topics that we bounce all around. We kind of have some that are more um, fertility story specific, where we do have listeners coming on, but a lot of ours are mostly with a a guest, and sometimes those are fertility, or sometimes they really are more um, holistic. We I love our gut health. One, uh, So yeah, there's a lot of stuff, the world of fertility, it's not isolated from the rest of your body and your system. So that's why trying to understand overall health is really key for anybody that's also trying to achieve a pregnancy
2: yeah it's fun because you can definitely tell the episodes that are more like Anne centric or ruby centric (laughs) anything that is like nutrition focused you can hear me like almost hear my like excitement in the background i'm like i love i'm such a nerd i love talking about this stuff um so but yeah we we really like to we found that we're both very scientific nerdy so um it's it's i've learned a lot too a lot more about mm. the connections between history and and wellness and, and fertility um, things are all connected turns out
3: yeah and if you have like an author a book that you love then you can like reach out to that person and they'll actually talk to you it's yeah. amazing i know so, like, I that's know. amazing yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Amazing. yeah we and have- i love your i love
2: your structure that you have a meal and a snack that's <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we wanted something that went along with the theme of like pineapple and things like that. So um but yeah, the the gut health one is also one of my favorite ones. And mm-hmm. we interviewed Doctor Will Bolsowitz, who's a GI doc, and um he is hilarious mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that conversation. But yeah, it was going into that interview i was like sweating because he's like one of my heroes like you know there are, people love rock stars and i'm like oh a nutrition person i'm losing it wow. over here.
3: yeah he's another episode that i'll often tell people if they're just trying to figure out what the podcast is like that's one of my other favorites because you'll see mm-hmm. why we've been talking about nutrition and fertility um and also yeah he's so fun to listen to yeah we call
2: him dr b still in my family so <laughs> mm-hmm too funny and what is next for the podcast
1: or your careers or your adventures what can you preview oh man more lawyers uh...
2: on it So, um, one that I'm really excited about, actually a couple, um, we are interviewing Kelly Kasperson, who is a, an MD also has her own podcast, um, which uh, is called <laughs> you are not broken. So, um, the, you are not, you are not broken podcast. So check her out as well, but we're going to be interviewing her, um, talking about sexual health, which is also super interesting. And I always love talking about, um, it's an
3: awesome book. I read it on the plane to my book, vacation yeah. and I was texting like oh. three of my friends to be like, do you have this book? I'm going to order Order for you right now because it's so good about how to it's really like,
1: like your beach romance
2: is yeah it?
3: scientific <laughs> yes. ways to improve your She's sex life her.
1: exactly
2: yeah and it's called you are not broken so the same name as her podcast i'm really excited to talk to her i think we talk to her next week or the week after mm-hmm. um so that'll be coming out in a couple months because we always record a couple um a couple months ahead of time. Uh, we're going to we also- do another
3: advocacy episode to talk more about, you know, post dobs and what happens with access and reproductive nice. health and care. So, you know, definitely, yeah. I know we covered that a little bit on your snack episode, but there's so many It's, it's an
2: ongoing right topic now. for sure. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be talking about uh, first responders, nurses, and military people who struggle with infertility. I, I will also be talking with um, somebody from men having babies, uh, which is really cool. So we have some fun things coming up.
3: Yeah, nice. I mean, we have a big list and sometimes it's just hard to decide like what to do next, but there's there's yeah. so much. I mean, as you know, it's like there's so many stories out there and so many different um, questions that we like to talk about. <laughs>
1: I hear you. Well, I for one will be listening and am so grateful for you guys taking the time to come on our podcast and to share your stories. And I look forward to, to many more episodes in the future and hearing more from you guys.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us. It's, it's interesting yeah. being on the guest side of things. Now I feel, <laughs> I feel for our guests.
1: <laughs> thank you to Anne Judge and Ruby Boris of The Whole Pineapple. Please, please uh, check out their amazing podcast, um i'm scared you might like it more but no not scared because it's it's great they're both great
0: it's amazing yeah no i mean like but also (laughs) like stars
1: give us stars give them give us all reviews
0: exactly exactly review all of us to your appropriate liking right you know like no force on this issue but i mean how fun for them to be like on the other side right that's a a unique experience for sure (laughs) um so everyone please like ellen said Definitely reach out to them, but also don't forget to reach out to us at 303-997-1903. We love to hear from you. You can also go to our website, the Iwanttoputababyinyou.com website, or you can join our Facebook group. Uh, Just don't forget to answer the questions or I will not let you into the group. Uh, And if you tell me that you um, want to sell me a car warranty, I will let you in but only because it's you (laughs) and you are special. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to our team, to Melissa, to Tyler, and to Amanda. And thank you all.